If you'll open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, we're continuing our study on heaven. We have come to the end of the book of Revelation, and for the last several weeks, we have been studying what the Apostle John has written about heaven. We'll be studying this for the next two weeks after today. But today, we're thinking again about what will we do when we get to heaven. Now, we've already seen, and we already knew this before we got into the series, that heaven is a beautiful place. It's more beautiful than any place that we could imagine, certainly prettier than any place we've seen on earth. And we have seen that there are 12 gates that will provide entrance into the celestial city. There's a wall in heaven, and on each side of that wall, there are three gates. And so one of these days, uh, either upon our death or at the rapture of the church, we're going to walk through one of those gates, and we're going to be greeted by an angel, and there we will be in heaven with God forever. Now, as we saw last week, one of the greatest things, in fact, to me, it will be the greatest thing that we experience in heaven is that we will see Jesus face to face. And I said this last week, and I want to just say it again today. I said it several times last week. There is a day, a time set in your future, if you've ever been saved, when you will stand face to face before the person of Jesus Christ. And your eyes will see his, and his eyes will lock on you. And in that moment, we're going to see the one face to face that we have known heart to heart for our time on earth. So we're going to see Jesus. We also saw last week that in heaven, his name will be written across our foreheads. So all through eternity, You'll look at me, and I'll look at you, and we'll have the name Jesus written across our foreheads. That is his way of saying to us, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. All of those here belong to me. Now, this week, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to be thinking today not so much about what we're going to do in heaven, although we'll see a little bit of that, but I want us to focus today on what we're going to discover when we first get to heaven. Now, keep in mind, when you get to heaven, you're going to have perfect knowledge. The Bible says that now we know in part, but then we shall know as we are known. We will know everything perfectly. We're going to know a whole lot more then than we know now. And so beginning in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 22, I want us to see first the first thing that we'll discover in heaven when we see the throne of God is that we will discover that God was and that God is the source of all of our blessings. Revelation 22, look in verse 1. Now remember, John, the apostle, is having a guided tour of heaven. An angel is guiding him around, showing him the sights. And he says this, John said, And he, the angel, showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to see God seated upon his throne. And from underneath that throne, we're going to see a river that is flowing. Now, keep in mind, we'll already have perfect knowledge, so we'll understand that God is the source of that river. But if we were to see that throne today from earth, not having perfect knowledge, we might think, well, maybe behind that throne, there's a waterfall. Maybe behind that throne, there's, a, there's another river. We'd be wondering, what is the source of this river. But this river, 
coming out from the throne of God is unlike any other river on earth today. The rivers of the earth today are dependent upon rain. You can't have a river without having rain. You can't have a river with no headwaters. You can't have a river on earth without the hydrological cycle that clouds are formed, vapors go up from the bodies of the water today. Uh, clouds are formed. Those clouds produce rain. The vapors go up. The clouds produce rain. The rain comes down, and the rain runs into the river. But in this case, there is no hydrological cycle in heaven. There's no rain in heaven, and there's no waterfall behind the throne of God. God Himself is the source of this river. In Psalm 46, which is a familiar psalm to many of us, that's the psalm that starts out saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the psalm ends by saying, God said, be still and know that I am God. But in the middle of that psalm, Psalm 46 in verse 4, it says, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. I believe the river being referred to in Psalm 46 is the river of heaven, and it's the river that comes out of the throne of God. Now, I want you to look at the screen, and I want you to see this statement, because I think it's so very important as we think about God being the source of all of our blessings. Let's see this. God is the source of our blessings. People are the channels. Now, I want you to let that sink in. God is the source of our blessings. People are the channels. So many times in life, we start thinking that people are the source of our blessings. Maybe you have a very wonderful family, as I do, and you've been blessed with that. And it's easy for us to think, my family is the source of my blessings. It is through my family that, that I feel love. It is through my family that I feel acceptance when we're young. It is from our parents that we have food to eat and clothes to wear and a house to live in. And so it's easy to think, well, my family is the source of my blessings. Or maybe you're married today and you think, my spouse is the source of my blessings. Through my spouse, I, I have companionship. Through my spouse, I have a best friend, or through my spouse, I have someone who's with me and thick and thin, and, and that's a tremendous blessing, but it's not, if we're not careful, we can get to thinking that our spouse is the source of our blessings. But what if you lose your spouse? What if you lose your parents? What if you lose your job? You know, it'd be easy for somebody in this pandemic, say they've worked at Exxon for 25 years, and so it'd be easy for them to think, man, I've worked out here for all these years, and Exxon has been writing my checks, and it's through these checks that I'm able to buy food for my families, pay the mortgage for the house, insurance for the car, and it'd be easy to think, man, Exxon is the source of my blessings. But friend, let me ask you this. What about all those people who just lost their job at Exxon? Have they lost the source of their blessing? No. What they've lost is the channel of that blessing, but God is still the source. And so I encourage you today, don't, hey, be thankful for your family, be thankful for your spouse, be thankful for your job, but don't ever get to thinking that that is the source of your blessing. God is the source. The waters run out from underneath the throne. As we go through life, channels change but the source of our blessings never changes. God is the source. My dad was mentioning earlier that during this pandemic, uh, when so many people, probably 60% of our members are not even coming to church yet, and you're, you're thinking about the budget and all that goes with that, and yet 
looks like by the end of the year, we're either going to meet it, almost meet it, or even go over it. And how do you explain that? Well, the faithfulness of the people, certainly. But think about this. The people wouldn't have anything to give had God not given to us. We give to God because He has given to us. And so God is the source. And, and I could do a whole sermon on this. In fact, in the first service, I almost just never got off the first point. And I've got to get off of it today. But I just want to drive this point home today. Channels change. The source never change. Don't put your faith in a job, a family, a spouse, a friend, another person. Put your faith in God. He is the source of your blessing. I got a phone call earlier in the week. I got a text message actually from a lady in our church. And she said, John, could you call me sometime this week? I'd like to talk to you. And so I did. And she said, I just want to tell you a story. She said, earlier this year, my husband and I, we didn't lose our jobs, but we took a pay cut. Both of us took a pay cut. And she said, it's been a little bit of a tough year. And she said, but we were thankful to keep our jobs. She said, as we got closer to harvest day, we began talking about, well, what should we, you know, what should we do on harvest day? This is the time when we're all supposed to give a thank offering to the Lord for his faithfulness. And one of the spouses said to the other, said, well, you know, we want to give something. We want to be generous. We are thankful to God. We still have our jobs, and, and, but we don't know how much to give. And, and then one of the spouses said, you know, I think this year, we should give more to God than we gave last year. Even though our pay has been cut, I think we should give more. And I think the other spouse responded by saying, I think you've lost your mind. Because how can we give more when we're receiving less? And yet they talked about it and they prayed about it and they both in, were in agreement that God had put that on their heart. And so they gave, they gave more this year even though they had less money coming in. She said, you know, John, after we wrote that check, or she, she said we actually gave online, and she said after we did that, we felt peaceful in our hearts. We knew we had done what God had told us to do, but, but we did know that it put us maybe in just a touch of a bind. But she said, John, something just happened like a day or two ago that I just had to tell you. She said, we went to the mailbox, and we got a check in the mail from the most, you talk about an out-of-the-blue place to get a check from. She said, we got a check in the mail that we had no idea was coming our way. We had no idea that this place even existed or that, we, she said, we never would have even dreamed that this was a possibility. And she said, the check that we received was for exactly five times the amount of money that we gave to the church on Harvest Day. And when she was saying that, I was thinking about this part of the sermon where God is the source. And I, just want to, I want to just drive that home again today. Your job is not the source. Thank God for, we all thank God for our jobs. Your family's not, and then we thank God. But God is the source. Let him work through different channels, but don't put your faith in the channels. The channels will dry up. Keep your faith in the source because that river never does run dry. Amen? And we're going to discover that when we get to heaven. I'll tell you a second thing we're going to discover when we get to heaven. We already know it, but we're going to discover it in a deeper way, and that is we're going to discover that physical death is a blessing. Physical death is a blessing. Now, as we're living our lives, we don't think about death being a blessing. We think about death being something to be avoided. And we, and we do try to do everything we can to be safe and, and to live uh, as long as we can. But the fact is, physical death is a blessing. Look in verse number 2. In the middle of its street, that is the main street of heaven, and on either side of the river, that is the river coming out from underneath the throne of God, was the tree of life 
which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, when we read the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, we might be prone to think, well, what are we being healed of? I mean, in heaven, there is no sickness. There are no diseases. Why would we need to be healed in heaven? Well, the word that is translated in my Bible today as healing can also be translated caring for. The leaves, the fruit coming out of this tree of life are for the caring for of the nations. We get our word therapeutic from the Greek word that is used here. And what the Bible is saying is, There's a a big tree in heaven, and it's known as the tree of life. And each month, when we get to heaven, we'll see that that tree produces a different type of fruit. And we'll eat that fruit, a different type of fruit every month. It says there's variety in heaven. Heaven is not just a boring place where everything's always the same. No, there's variety. And the fruit that we eat from the tree of life will be good for us. And it will, it will be like therapy for us. It won't heal us in the sense that we were sick and we ate it. But it will be something that God will give us to bless us and to, uh, to nourish us and to be a blessing to us in an amazing way. Now, look again at in, in this second verse because I find this very interesting. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, when you hear that expression, the tree of life, your mind probably goes back to the first book in the Bible. In fact, let's turn back to Genesis right now. Genesis chapter number 2. I want us to see where we first encounter the tree of life. Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 9. And God has placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It is a perfect environment, and there they are. There's no sin that's happened whatsoever. And the Bible says, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a tree that God said to Adam and Eve, Don't eat fruit from this tree, because the day that you eat from this tree, you will die. But this other tree, the tree of life, was also in the Garden of Eden. So we know that Satan came along. He tempted Adam and Eve. They ate from the forbidden tree. They ate the fruit. When they did that, sin entered the world. When sin comes into the world, death comes into the world. But before death, there's physical decay. There's sickness. There's disease. Death doesn't happen physically just like that. It is a process, and that was the case with them. But you still had in the Garden of Eden the tree of life. Now, Look in chapter 3 now and in verse 22, because I want you to notice what God did after Adam and Eve had sinned. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim, that is a special type of angel, at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so if you just read that casually, you think, well, Adam and Eve sinned, and after they sinned, God punished them. And he did. God judged them, and he did, and he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, and that's true. And we might just be prone to think, well, you know, they sinned, and and that was what they got because of their sin. But did you know that when God put Adam and Eve out of the garden, 
And when God made it impossible for them to eat from the tree of life, that God was actually doing them a favor. Think about this. Had Adam and Eve eaten that fruit from the tree of life, that would have meant they would have lived forever in a fallen, sinful state, not only separated from God, but living inside of a body that never would have died. Look again in verse 22 at the end of the verse. It says, and God said, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. If you eat fruit from the tree of life, you don't die. It, is, it, it has an eternal quality to it. And so God's looking down and God said, if Adam and Eve eat this fruit, they will live forever in a body that won't die. Their body will age. Their body will get sick. Their body will begin the process of decay, and yet their body will not die. And so the death of Adam and Eve uh, was a blessing just like death is a blessing to us, which leads me to say this. There's something worse than having a debilitating illness. There's something worse than Alzheimer's. There's something worse than dementia. There's something worse than MS and Parkinson's and ALS. There's something worse than cancer that cannot be cured with chemotherapy or with surgery or radiation. There's something worse than all of that. And that is this. It would be to live forever in a condition like that. I mean, Alzheimer's is an awful disease, but how, how much worse would it be if a person lived for millions and even billions of years with Alzheimer's or one of these other diseases? And so when we get to heaven and see that tree of life in heaven, see, we'll have perfect knowledge, and we're going to say to ourselves, how good is God? He didn't let our ancestors eat this fruit uh, in the garden because if so, they would have lived forever. We eventually would have been born. We would have lived forever, we would have been in bodies that would get sick, that would be in pain, and yet the bodies would never die. This is why many times we come to a funeral service here at the church for somebody in our congregation who has died of one of these diseases or some other disease, and they've had a long battle, and they've suffered, and they've hurt, and they've agonized, and they finally died, and we're able to say to the family, listen, I know this is hard. And I know this is sad, and I know this hurts, but look at the death of your loved one from God's perspective. Look at their death from their perspective now in heaven. Think about this. They're in heaven in a new body that will never get sick, that will never know pain, that will never have decay. The, there is no cancer. There is no Alzheimer's. There is no dementia. They have a clear mind, a healthy body, and they're happier and healthier than they've ever been in all their life. And yet, had Adam and Eve eaten that tree, fruit from that tree of life, think about this, they would still be living today. How long ago was the Garden of Eden? 5,000 years ago, six, somewhere between five and 6,000 years. If you add up all the genealogies, God created man. People, you know, sometimes somebody will say, well, the earth is billions of years old. Well, not according to the Bible. The earth is about five or 6,000 years old. But had Adam and Eve eaten that fruit, think about this. They would be five or 6,000 years old. Now, folks, I want to live a long life, but I don't want to live to be that old. I don't want to live to be 200 years old. I mean, I want to live a long, full life, but I don't want to live too long because at some point, death is a blessing. Our spirit is released from our bodies, and we go get a new body, and we're in heaven with God. And I say that today because many of you, many of us, we've all lost people who've gone to heaven. And I want you to understand today, 
they are better than they were, than they would be if they were still on earth. And as we think about our own mortality, there's coming a day when we will die. And we look at that as an experience to be avoided or put off. And that's understandable. But from God's perspective, it's actually something to be embraced and something we should look forward to because upon our physical death, we will go immediately into the presence of God in heaven. And what I'm saying to you today is when we first walk through one of those gates and we see the throne of God and that river coming out from underneath it, we're going to say, you know what? My whole time on earth, God was the source of all my blessings. There were different channels, but God was the unchanging source. And we're going to say this, you know, that death experience that I had back on earth that I dreaded for all those years and put off and I was afraid about it. What would it be like now from my new perspective in heaven I can look back on my physical death and say that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it was through death that I was liberated from that body and that I was able to come to be with God in heaven and get a new body and a new mind and I'll be with him forever but there's something else we're going to discover in heaven not only those things but when we get to heaven we're going to discover that the curse has been reversed. Now, I think you're still in Genesis, and if so, look in chapter number 3, because after Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the earth. Look in chapter 3 and verse 17. Now, God is speaking to Adam. He's holding Adam accountable for what, is, for what he's done, and God is pronouncing a, a punishment on Adam, and here's what he says. Then to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat it. That is, you disobeyed, Adam. Watch the next word, word here. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so one of the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin was that the earth was cursed. Up until this day, when Adam went out to work in the garden, there were no thorns, there were no thistles, there were no briars, there were no weeds. It was absolutely perfect. But because, and he didn't even sweat, he didn't strain, he didn't get tired. But after sin, it all changed. God, cur God cursed the earth. And when he cursed the earth, Adam's having all kinds of difficulty and uh, working in the garden. That's why, for example, the earth, before sin entered the Garden of Eden, there were no earthquakes. Because it, the earthquakes are the result of fault lines. But there were no fault lines before sin. That's all a result of the earth being cursed and, and the earth suffering under the weight of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the creation groans. Every time there's an earthquake, it's like the earth itself is groaning and the earth is saying something's not right. We're not, we're not holding ourselves together like we were supposed to. Sin has taken a toll even on the earth. Every time there's a hurricane, same thing. There were no hurricanes in the Garden of Eden. There were no tornadoes in the Garden of Eden. There were no hailstorms in the Garden of Eden. All of that came after sin entered the world. And so it's interesting that the world we live on today is cursed. Look back in verse 14. Notice what God said to the devil 
in the form of a serpent who had tempted Adam and Eve. It said, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And so God said to Satan, he said, you're going to be in the form of a serpent now like a snake. And here's your punishment. All of the days of your life, you're going to crawl around on your belly. But when we get to heaven, now go back in Revelation 22 and look in verse number 3. Notice this. This is amazing. It says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And so in heaven, there is no curse. The earth is cursed, but the, heaven, the heavens are not cursed. Heaven itself is not cursed. The curse will be reversed when we get to heaven. Not only will uh, the, earth, the, the earth in heaven, as it were, be perfect, but will be perfect. Our bodies will be perfect. Look back in verse 21. We looked at this a few weeks ago when we started our study on heaven. Chapter 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You see, when we get to heaven and we begin to, it dawns on us in our first moments in heaven, I've got a new body. This body doesn't ache. I'm not losing a thought in the middle of a sentence. You ever do that? You do that? You're in the middle of a sentence. You can't, what was I saying? And then you lost your thought. But not in heaven. Our thinking will be clear. Our bodies will be strong. Our energy levels will be stronger than they have ever been. And the environment itself will say to us, the, the curse has been reversed. Now, look at this statement that I want to make. I want to make two statements, but the first one is this. For Christians, there's coming a day when the curse will be reversed. And so that means as we look forward to what God has in store for us in the future, it's, our future is getting better than it is right now. But watch this next statement. For those who have never been saved, for the unsaved, watch this, the curse will only get worse. You see, those of us who were saved, when we cross over to the other side and get where we're going, it's going to be better there than it is here. We'll have a new body, a new mind, a new environment, a new world to live in, and it will be perfect. And so we look for, even during hard times, we say, you know what, God, what I'm going through now is tough. What I'm going through now is painful. What I'm going through now is difficult and hard. But God, there's coming a day when I will cross over to the other side, either upon my death or at the rapture of the church, and it's going to be better up there than it is down here. We have something to look forward to. But think about this. Those who've never been saved, they have nothing to look forward to. When they cross over and get to where they're going, they're going to say, the curse has now gotten worse. Think about this. Here is God cursing Satan, and God is saying to Satan, from now on, you'll be in the form of a snake, and you're going to crawl on your belly for the rest of your existence. But by the time we get to Revelation chapter 22, do you know where Satan is? Do you remember from our study where he is? He has been cast into hell. He's in the lake of fire. And so for Satan, the curse will have gotten worse. Don't you think by this time Satan will say, well, you know what? That was bad when I had to crawl around on the earth and on my belly, but I would rather crawl around on the earth on my belly than be in hell. Think about people who've never been saved. 
When they die, the curse will get worse. And when they get where they're going, they're gonna say, you know what? When I was on earth, I had pain. I had, I had cancer. I had diseases. I had problems. Work was hard. Money was hard. To, everything was hard. But now it's worse. I'm eternally separated from God in hell. And so when, I, when you think about and put all this together, for those of us who are saved, the only heartache the only sorrow and the only pain that we will ever know will be on this side of the grave because when we cross over, all of that is gone and God is making all things new. The curse will be reversed. But for those who've never been saved, just the opposite is true. The only fun, the only excitement, the only things enjoyable that they will ever experience will be on this side of the grave because when they cross over and get where they're going, no matter how bad it was on earth, it will only get worse when they step out into an eternity without God. For them, the curse will get worse. And so that makes me, as I prepared this sermon, as I thought about this sermon, it makes me ask examine my own heart, and it makes me today ask all of us here today, as you look into your future, I mean a thousand years from now, will you be able to say, because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ for me, the curse has been reversed, and everything is perfect, or a thousand years from today, will you say, because I rejected Jesus Christ, because I never confessed my sins, because I never got saved, the curse has only gotten worse. For I'll tell you this, I would rather live on a cursed earth for a million years than to live for five minutes in hell separated from God. I would rather, if it's even possible to do this, I've never been in an earthquake. My parents have. They were in Athens, Greece years ago, and they were coming out of a bakery one morning, and when they were walking out the door, the earth started, the earth started shaking like this, and they didn't know what in the world was happening. And my dad said, John, it's the scariest experience I've ever had in my life. He said, we honestly thought that the earth beneath our feet was going to open up, consume us, and close back on top of us. And he said, we didn't know where to go. We felt like, you know, if we went into a building, it would be more dangerous because the building could collapse. But if we stayed where we were, that was very, he said, it was the scariest thing that we've ever experienced. The, the airport there in Athens, the runway buckled, flights couldn't land, they couldn't take off. They, it was a horrible experience that they were in. But let me say this, I would rather be in an earthquake like that for 24 hours, if it's even possible to keep your balance, if, if the earth quaked that long, then to end up in hell for five minutes. Because as bad as the earthquake is, that's not as bad as being separated from God for all eternity. And so what I'm saying today, and as we think about this passage of Scripture, what do we have? We have a river, we have a tree, and we have a perfect environment. And that river says to us, God is the source of all your blessings. Don't trust the channel, trust the source. And that tree says to us, physical death is a blessing in disguise because when you get to heaven, you're going to have a new body and you don't have to live on earth with that body that was wearing out on you. And not only that, the perfect environment says to us, for those who are saved, there's coming a day when the curse will be reversed and God will make all things new. Amen?